Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Let's turn now to our call to confession. Please be seated if you're standing. Uh, Let's uh, turn to Luke 24. And I especially like this passage for a call to confession because Jesus uh, comes to the Emmaus Road disciples after his resurrection and uh, gives them encouraging and uh, needed words. So Luke 24, verse 18 to 27. Hear God's word. One of them, named Cleopas, answered Jesus, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Thus far the reading of God's word. The Emmaus Road disciples were discouraged. They had left their hope behind in Jerusalem and were walking home. They thought Jesus was dead. We need to confess that we too are easily discouraged and despondent, slow of heart to believe good news from God. We would rather try to muscle through on our own stoic strength than rejoice in God's grace and mercy to us. It feels better if we can make it through on our own power and resources than if we have to rely on God. But the disciples after Jesus died, after the crucifixion, they had nothing to go on but resurrection power that God had promised. So let's confess that we trust in our own power or we despair and we forget God's grace and glory. Let's confess our sins before God. Please kneel if you're able and I'll pray our prayer of confession. start in verse uh, 20 today. Looked at uh, the raising of Lazarus and Jesus comforting us in our grief last week. And today, part two, we'll look at the same passage, but now look at the resurrection power of Christ. John chapter 11, verse 20, reading through verse 44. Hear God's word. 
So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where she, Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had, had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, and he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have before us an astounding account of life after death. Even before uh, our Lord uh, rose from the tomb himself, he has power to give life at any time, at any place. And so we uh, come before the Prince of Life, who was put to death willingly for our sins, for our guilt. And we humble ourselves before you and before your word. We ask that you would give us strength, give us devotion, give us focus to pay attention to this word, to learn all that you have for us to learn in it. And not simply, Lord, to learn in a mental fashion, but to have our hearts changed, to become more like your son, Jesus. We pray fervently for this in his name. Amen. <clears throat> well, we have here the, the powerful, the personal resurrection of life in Christ. And that brings peace to those who believe. That's the, the sermon theme this morning. And uh, just three kind of 
main headings of the message today is the seven signs and then the resurrection power and then personal resurrection. Uh, yeah, I think I've got that in the bulletin that way. I tried to put everything right in one uh, screen size view there for you so you can look at that in the bulletin today. The sermon theme, the outline, the chiasm that I talked about last week, and words for kids to listen for it as well. So uh, keep that chiasm in the background as, as I talk. I'm not going to uh, talk about it directly so much today, but remember that, um, and I hope I've got the indents better today, you've got the AA first and last, BB, and so on. So uh, that's kind of the structure of the text here with the middle verses, verses 24 to 27, really, the, the center of this text. Uh, so we'll come uh, to that, uh, and that's kind of the structure that's going on here. But I want to talk first about the seven signs. So in John, what we have here in the first uh 11 chapters, you have seven signs. And I just want to briefly recount those, just so we get in our uh, in our thoughts uh, the broad scope of what Jesus has done uh, leading up to this point. Uh, the first sign was water to wine in chapter 2 of John. Jesus is the source of joy, water to wine. The second sign is the healing of the nobleman's son. And there we see in chapter 4, Jesus has power over sickness and sin. The third sign, he heals the lame man at the pool. And there we see Jesus' power over our helplessness, uh, over our sin as well, chapter 5. The fourth sign is when he feeds the 5,000. And, and there we see in chapter 6 that Jesus is food for everyone. Uh, the fifth sign is when Jesus walks on water, and Jesus shows there his power over nature. Uh, the sixth sign is when the man born blind is healed by Jesus. That's in chapter 9. There we see Jesus' power to restore sight. Uh, and again, that's also a power over nature because he was born that way. So Jesus brings life. Uh, he brings sight where there was never any before, uh, which is kind of a creation ex nihilo thing. So these signs kind of build, uh, and they show uh, more and more of Jesus' power. First he gives simply gives joy and wine, uh, then on to uh, healing a lame man and then power over nature, and then power to give a new nature. So these signs are building all along. And then you have that big argument in chapter 9 and 10, and Jesus' teaching about being the good shepherd uh, before, after sign 6 and before, uh, yes, after sign 6 and before sign 7. The seventh sign is chapter 11 here, Lazarus, uh, being raised from death. Jesus has power over death. He can give spiritual life. He can give physical life. He can reverse the curse. And when Jesus stands before the tomb of Lazarus, he not only enters into our sorrow and grief with compassion for us, he's got the power to undo it and to fix it. And that's quite something. So uh, two notes on that before we move on. Uh, one is, this is John, the gospel writer, who also wrote the book of Revelation. And if you look in Revelation, there's a lot of structure there, too, about seven things, seven bowls, seven trumpets. And after the sixth one, there's this interlude, and then the seventh climactic thing that, that uh, consummates everything. And that's exactly what John's doing here. He got these six signs in the first uh, ten chapters of his gospel, 
And then Jesus teaching about the being the good shepherd, an interlude about uh, who he is. And then chapter 11, bam, the, the climactic thing. Jesus can give us life after death. Uh, so that's that's the first note. The second is, there's an Old Testament echo of this. And I wasn't going to mention this too much because I don't have that much time. But if you look at this, the ministries of Elijah and Elisha, Elijah does seven signs in his ministry that are recorded as well, seven miracles. And when Elisha comes along, uh, Elisha asks God for a double portion of God's spirit. And, and God uh, agrees. Because he says, if you see Elijah when he goes up into heaven, then, then you'll know that I've answered you. And he sees the chariots of fire. Uh, so Elisha then goes on to record, to do uh, 13 miracles that are recorded in Second Kings. If you count them up, you, you count 13 of them. And then he dies. And, and, and you know, if you're a, and this is kind of a thinking Hebrew, Old Testament context kind of thing. You know, if you're, if you're a, if you're just thinking in a Hebrew fashion, you have this in mind. You're counting these up, and you get to 13, and you're expecting, all right, a big 14's coming. A double portion, double seven is 14. But he dies after 13. And it's the same pattern. You've got the same pattern going on. You have this pause, this interlude, and then the climactic 14th. And um, I think I'll just leave it to a... a suspense here today to and i won't mention what the 14th is maybe you can search that out yourselves today uh it's a fascinating story what elisha's 14th miracle is when he himself is dead and god performs a miracle uh with elisha so it, it's just fascinating god brings life from from the dead and that's that's a great old testament uh echo of what's going on here on resurrection sunday when the disciples are sitting in the upper room Right, they're hiding and they're sorrowful, kind of like Elisha, but then God does something and gives life from from the dead. Well, anyway, that's the seven signs. This is the seventh sign: this uh, raising of Lazarus from the dead. Uh, second point today: the resurrection power. This is the main uh, point of this uh, passage, verses forty-one to forty-four, uh, when Jesus actually raises uh, Lazarus from the dead, and he does this in dramatic fashion again. It's it's that. I talk about it sometimes like it's Babe Ruth, right? You know the Babe Ruth moment where he's at the plate and he points to the, to the uh, upper uh, the, the bleachers in the left field, the upper bleachers, and he kind of points. And then he hits the ball there. Right? That, that's kind of what Jesus does here. He, he prays and says, thanks for hearing my prayer that I'm going to do this. Uh, and, then he, and then he does it. And then he raises Lazarus. It's just amazing. It, it, there's, it's hard to say, well, this was an accident. Jesus didn't do it because he went ahead and said, thank you, Lord, for hearing me about what's about to happen. <laughs> and then Lazarus walks out. So it's obviously not a coincidence. Jesus has done this by his power, uh, by asking God for it. So, Jesus, so one point to make here is that Jesus has faith in the Father. He has faith in his Father. And uh, his faithfulness is uh, what brings this about. Uh, now, our faith is imperfect, right? Fear and anxiety press in on us all the time. And we know that these days more than uh, usually. Uh, we are not saved by our faith. We're saved by God's grace. <clears throat> and God decides to use our faith. 
so don't hear me wrong there. We have to believe to be saved. But our faith isn't the reason that we can be forgiven. The reason we can be forgiven is the obedience and the death of Christ. We're saved through our faith, but the only way God can forgive us is if there is one who trusted and obeyed God perfectly on our behalf. And that's Jesus. He has perfect faith in the Father. Uh, so I emphasize this today because it's very easy to think that our faith has more sway with God than it really does. It, you know, if, if only I believe hard enough, I'll be okay with God. I'll be healed. You know, if I believe this much on the meter, that won't cut it. But if I'm really committed, then I'll be okay. Uh, I remember when I was uh, young, maybe f uh, five or six years old, I went to vacation Bible school in the church where I grew up. And uh, the the leader of that was a really kind of charismatic, fun guy. Uh, his name was Uncle Tim. And when we would sing a song, he would have one side of the room, uh, he would have a contest. Who could sing louder? And he had this little meter, right? And if the louder you sang, the further up it went. So, you know, we that was pretty cool. The kids would uh, try to yell louder than the other side. But it, But it isn't the decibel level of your commitment or your resolve that gets you forgiven, or that gets Lazarus out of the tomb. No one in this chapter around Jesus is showing very strong faith, right? Mary and Martha, they're despondent. You know, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. They, they have a, a belief in the resurrection at the end. Uh, they're believers, but their faith is, is quite weak at this point. So often in the Gospels, Jesus says, your faith has saved you. But it's still Jesus who is doing the healing. He chooses to use our imperfect faith, too. But where is your hope? Who do you trust in? Uh, too often we're trusting in our own faith, in our own resources, and not in God's power. That's an important uh, Resurrection Day point to make. Because the disciples are just sitting there in the upper room, hiding, hoping that, that they aren't uh, caught. They're, they're completely passive. They have nothing they can do uh, to fix this situation. God does it all. So this also shows a, uh, in these verses 41 to 44 uh, a communion between father and son uh, that's unheard by others. It's really fascinating what Jesus says. Uh, uh, Thank you that you have heard me. <laughs> uh, so Jesus has obviously made a request that's not recorded. Uh, maybe he said it out loud to those around, but it doesn't look like it. So you have this communion between father and son that's going on that we're often, it just doesn't register with us. <clears throat> well, Jesus says uh, also, uh, I am the resurrection. Uh, and moving now to verses um, 24 to 27. Uh, this is where Martha says, uh, I know uh that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Uh, but Jesus, uh, what he does here is what he did in uh, on that first Easter Sunday. He breaks in. He brings the resurrection of the last day, which is a complete reality coming true. Uh, but he takes that and he brings that into the middle of history. Uh, and Jesus uh, rises uh, from the dead on the third day. And Jesus uh, makes this point to Martha. Yes, it's true. Lazarus is going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day. 
But Jesus, and verse, this is verse 25. We read verse 25 at uh, gravesides when we have funerals. I am the resurrection and the life. But when you read it in the original context, it, it's a correction to Martha. It, it's a correction to a, a simple abstract understanding of what's going to happen the last day. It, it's not just the last day, Martha. I'm the resurrection. Don't trust in a day. Don't trust that the end of the story will be okay. Trust in me. I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Now, not that the last day is something to poo-poo. No, I mean, that's, that's going to be awesome. John 5, we had read from John 5 because of this. Uh, some of my favorite verses in Scripture. Uh, where Jesus says, uh, at the last day, the dead are going to hear my voice. I'm going to call them out of their graves, and they'll listen, and they'll come. That's going to be an astounding day. Uh, nothing to sneeze at. But, uh, but Jesus says, there's something even greater than the last day, and it's me. I'm the resurrection. So the one who is the Prince of Life goes through death and resurrection for us. It, it's uh, also a good verse to remember in, on this day is Revelation 1.17. When John, same writer here, John, has a vision of Jesus, Jesus he falls down at the feet of Jesus when he sees his, his majesty. And Jesus says to him, fear not, I have the keys of Hades and of death. It's uh, fascinating to remember that on Resurrection Sunday. I have the keys of Hades and death. And he has them because he went through death and came back to life for us. I don't know, kids, if you've read the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, it's also good to think of this, the story in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe at this point. When uh, Aslan is put to death on the stone table and, and then comes to life again, right? This is a, it's a, another story to remind us, to show us what has gone on. And my favorite part of that story is often uh, after he comes to life, has the romp with Susan and Lucy, and then puts them on his back and, and goes to um, the witch's palace. And all those stone statues, right? Aslan breathes on them and turns them alive. And the, the, just a sentence quote from the story, Instead of the deadly silence... The whole place rang with the sound of happy roarings, brayings, yelpings, barkings, squealings, cooings, neighings, stampings, shouts, hurrahs, songs, and laughter. That's resurrection life. Not just a general resurrection. It's not just, well, it'll all turn out right in the end. No, it's a specific hope in the person of Jesus who brings life to us now. It's not a, a big machine winding down at the end of time, just barely resolving everything just fine. No, there's a person orchestrating everything for the glory of his son and for the good of his people. So this is why we don't have to grieve like those with no hope, because we know the one who will shout to raise the dead at the end. Uh, so these passages, these scripture passages are all consistent. First Thessalonians 4. John 5, John 11, the raised voice of the Lord Jesus, King Jesus, undoes death, calls us from our graves to eternal life with him. And there's a, a physical moment when that will happen at the end. But there's also, Jesus reminds us, uh, a, a, 
a spiritual miracle that happens as we come to life before that day. Now, as we hear the voice of Jesus, and he gives us new life within, and we hear him and come to him in faith. So we can take this, the miracle spiritually, and this is verses 25 and 26. Uh, Though we were dead to God in sin, we can believe and we can have relationship with God again. Uh, when the miracle shows Jesus has power over death, remember that death was the result of our sin. Uh, but Jesus can reverse the curse. He undoes the damage. And if he can undo death, he can undo what caused death in the first place, our sin. If he can undo physical death, he can undo our deadness to God. <clears throat> That's Ephesians 2. You he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's the miracle. Uh, the resurrection is not simply a, a bodily thing. It's, it's new life uh, from death. God, who's rich in mercy, when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. But the fear, the, notice the physical reflects the spiritual. And that fits with how Jesus has John talk to others like Nicodemus and the woman at the well, right? You have to be born again. Well, what's more physical than birth? <laughs> or John chapter 4, you're thirsty. Well, Jesus is water. So there's a physical reality, but it's uh, reflecting to us a spiritual truth. So resurrection power, that's that's the second point in the outline today. Resurrection power resides in the person of Christ. And it was he who was raised from death. Uh, personal resurrection is, is the last point today. Uh, and this, again, points to Martha's conversation mainly. And, uh, yeah, mo mainly Martha in uh, verses 23 to 27, 38 to 40. And here we should uh, pause to consider... Uh, in one way, this is appropriate to talk about Lazarus' uh, resurrection on Easter. In another way, it's not. Uh, there's a difference, right? There's a substantial difference between Lazarus' resurrection and Jesus' resurrection. And we ought to remember that, and, and that helps us to see what's really going on with Jesus on Easter. Uh, Lazarus died again. Lazarus dies twice. His second death isn't recorded for us, but we know he died again. He, he was raised back to life from death, to the same kind of life that we have that he had before. For Jesus, it wasn't like that. Jesus is raised to a new kind of indestructible, glorified life. There's, there's something different. He's the same Jesus. It's the same life. But there's, there's more. Um, I don't know if this is an appropriate analogy. I think of this off the cuff just now. It's like in Lord of the Rings where Gandalf uh, fights the Balrog. And then he comes back, and now he's no longer Gandalf the Grey. He's Gandalf the White. Right? There, there's, there's increased power or, or glory uh, that, that Jesus has, that we will have in, in the resurrection at the last day. But Lazarus doesn't have that here. It's, it's simply a, res, a, a revivification of Lazarus' body back to his same life. So it's different. It's not the same. Uh, we're going to be raised to eternal and indestructible life without sin or disease or sorrow, forever. Uh, that makes you really think about Lazarus coming back to life. Uh, I think, uh, this gets a little speculative, but we don't know, but I think Lazarus was probably disappointed when Jesus called him back. Because the scripture says that when we uh, 
depart, when we die, we are then with the Lord. There, there was a, you know, Lazarus wasn't just, we don't believe in soul sleep, where you're just unconscious until the last day. We believe, when, all believers, whenever they have died, they have gone in their souls to be with the Lord. Uh, Westminster uh, Confession of Faith will give you some uh, truth on that. You want to check there, and <clears throat> that'll point you to some scripture as well. So I think Lazarus was probably disappointed when Jesus called him back. Oh, I got to be back here for a while, huh? This life is not as good, right? Paul says this in Philippians one: I, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. So this miracle, this seventh sign, isn't done for Lazarus. <laughs> Notice it's done for others more than for Lazarus uh, to show Christ's resurrection power, right? And we so there's this cliche that we have uh, that's actually half true, right? When people d die these days, it, even secular unbelieving people will often say, "Don't weep for me, uh, I'm fine." There's a partial truth in that. that that's true. We don't we're not sad that they have died. Those who have died in the Lord. Because they're in a better place. That's, it's a cliche, but it's true. Uh, so the resurrection of Lazarus is done for us uh, who are grieving. Uh, done for us who don't yet know the full resurrection power that Jesus has. So we need to know that. We need to believe that. So, so Jesus could have not done this miracle. And Lazarus and Martha and Mary and, would have all been just as well off in the long run, right? Lazarus was in glory with the Lord. Why did he do this? To point to his power and to our need to believe in it. And this is the whole point of personal resurrection. There's an objective historical truth that the, the resurrection of Jesus really happened. And then there's, do you believe this? And that's verse 26, right? Right? The center of this passage is verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. In the very next verse, Jesus turns directly to Martha and says, Do you believe this? And then verse 38 to 40, same idea. Didn't I tell you that, if, uh, verse 40 it says, Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Do you believe? Well, if you believe, then take away the stone. And Martha hesitates. Uh, he's been dead four days. Lack of belief right away. Do you believe this? If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Do you believe? And this is John the Evangelist, once again. They, they call this gospel writer the Evangelist, because this is what he does all the time. You, you must believe. If you believe, you'll have eternal life. Do you believe? Do you believe that God made you? that the penalty for your sin is death and hell? Do you believe that God provided a way to take care of that penalty for you at the cross? Do you believe that God raised Jesus back to life bodily after the cross? Do you believe that God will bring us to himself after death and raise our bodies at the last day for eternal and glorious life? Martha took these words of Jesus impersonally at first. That's verse 24. Right? I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. There's, there's a, an abstract uh, run-through-the-propositions kind of thing that we do. 
that's that can be one abuse of the catechisms that we treasure, that we simply rattle off the questions and answers as we memorize them, and now it's now it's just data to know. No, do you believe? Uh, the story is told of a soldier in France uh, who uh, died on the battlefield, and uh, his one of his relatives. Uh, recovered his body, and found a thousand-franc bill in his pocket. Uh, wasn't sure where it came from, uh, but uh, just treasured that as a memento of his relative. Framed it on the wall in his living room, this thousand-franc bill. But the man was very, very poor. And this, the story goes that he was uh, going further and further into, uh, into debt and poverty, until someone visited him and pointed out the thousand franc bill on on the wall, said, "Hey, you've got funds right there." But the guy was seeing it as a as nostalgia, as as a souvenir, as a memento of his uh, long lost uh, soldier relative. He he wasn't computing that. Oh, that's actually cash. I can actually use that. Uh, Spurgeon puts it this way on this passage. He says, we need to turn God's gold into current coin. Don't just have it as a reserve, these propositions, these things we believe. There is an inheritance kept in heaven for you for the final day, but you can bank on it now. And that's what we're called to do. Do you believe this? Job did this, right? In the midst of all his grief and pain and his friends telling him that he was at fault, he cries out, I know my Redeemer lives. He, he, he converted God's promises into current coin. We need to do that today. New life has begun. The world is changing now. Resurrection power has already broken in. So just a brief application today. The, the power of rebirth and resurrection is Christ's power. Uh, he does it. There's nothing we can do to make that happen. He does it. But once he does that, there is work for us to do. And we see that right in this passage. Uh, Jesus tells them to move the stone away, remove the grave clothes. There's things for us to do. But we need to pray for our children and friends that they would come to faith in the Lord. We need to speak to them accordingly. Uh, God will have to do it. We can't force it. But there is work for us to do. When God uh, converts Paul on the Damascus Road, God sends him to Ananias. Right? He, God gives the new life. But then there's something for Ananias to do with that life. It's, it's like when we're in this season. I don't know if you've got uh, plants going uh, today or, or in this season. I know that the whole restrictions and all that have messed with that. But when, you've, when you plant the seed, then there's nothing you can do to make it come out of the ground. But there is work for you to do in, in cultivating that seed. It's the same kind of idea. When Cornelius is converted, God sends Peter to Cornelius, and Peter has work to do. When the Ethiopian eunuch is reading Isaiah, Philip comes along and asks if he understands what he's reading. So it's going to be God's power, but he calls us uh, to play a part in this drama. So be ready. The power, uh, the personal resurrection of Christ brings you peace. Uh, from which we go forth to serve the Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you that uh, death is no longer uh, uh, an enemy to be feared. Uh, Lord, you, as one poet has said, you have turned death uh, to be no longer an executioner, but now a gardener. And now uh, death is simply our planting, awaiting the time of our uh, resurrection and bloom and blossom. We give you thanks uh, for that glorious truth. That though the wages of sin is death, you have uh, found a way uh, to overcome even that, to restore us to you. Lord, let us celebrate uh, life today life that you give to us. Let us cherish that life, spiritual life, communion with you. Let us pray to you fervently and frequently today. Read your word. Uh, cherish life together as families and as a church body. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, our living Savior, the Prince of Life. And we sing as he taught us to pray. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T K-I-R-K-M-I dot com. Again, thank you and blessings.